Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to Two Footed Podcast. On Monday, February the 8th, we're brought to you as always by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network provider. They allow you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, or use your Now TV outside the UK, which, you know, in the post Brexit world, you can't do otherwise. They also allow you to keep your data safe online, which is very, very very important in this day and age. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out their products at homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, nine games the weekend to get through. And um, as always, lots and lots of VAR-related nonsense we start out with the first game of the weekend. Aston Villa won Arsenal nil. Villa went ahead early. Ollie Watkins in 75 seconds, um, taking advantage of disarray in the Arsenal defence and a sloppy ball by Cedric. Bertrand Traore creates the goal. Ollie Watkins continues his hot streak. I thought Arsenal were largely the better team from there on, though Villa did create the better chances. Matt Ryan making his Arsenal debut, having recovered from his hip hip problem, was kept very, very busy. For Villa, a little bit of good fortune. Ezri Konza, lucky probably not to get sent off um, in the first half when he made a foul just inside his own half. But it was deemed that it wasn't a clear goal-scoring opportunity and that there was a covering defender. Again, a little bit fortunate with that one. As I said, I thought Arsenal were the better team. I thought they played the better football. And they did draw some good saves from Emi Martinez. Martinez himself, very, very lucky not to be punished after a clear pull on Alex Lacazette that should have resulted in a penalty. Gets away with it, makes some good saves. And as I said, Matt Ryan at the other end made a lot of good saves for for Arsenal to keep them in the game. Another game where Jack Grealish didn't impress. That's three in a row. It's a little bit of a dip. Now, he has still created some opportunities in this game, including one for himself, where he drew a great save from Ryan. But he's going to need to be better for Villa if they want to climb back up the table. They sit ninth. They do have a game in hand over most teams and two over a lot of teams. Um, so they're still in a good position, but 
They'll want to finish higher than ninth, given how well they've played this season. It's three wins from five, but, you know, two defeats in that last five. There a couple of defeats before that as well. They don't seem to have bounced back fully from the COVID outbreak. And again, maybe that's hampering how Grealish is playing. I'm not sure. But I think all things considered, they will be fairly pleased with how everything has gone. They'll just want to turn some of those draws and defeats they've had into more wins. Uh, Up next for them is a trip to Brighton. Brighton obviously in great form, so that'll be difficult. Then they get uh, Leicester at home in the Midlands Derby. Then they travel two leads, and that gets them through to the end of February. So three difficult games coming up. Um, None of them are guaranteed wins. None of them are games that you'd think they'll target and think, oh, well, that's three points for us. But at the same time, I think they'll go into all three of them pretty confident they can take something home. Uh, For the Gunners, it's just a bit disappointing. I mean, that's 10 defeats already this season. That won't have been part of the plan. They do need to find a bit more consistency in their play. They've been on a really good run. Now, obviously, in this game, they're without Bernard Leno, who's a big, big part of what they're doing at, at the moment. But, like I said, Matt Ryan did play quite well, so I don't think Leno was a huge miss other than his organization maybe giving the team that little bit of confidence to play a little bit higher. Um, but that's no wins in the last three for Arsenal, two defeats back-to-back. After that good run they had, I think Arteta will want to sort this out fairly quickly. They get leads at home next weekend. That'll be tough. Then it's Benfica away in the Europa League, and then Manchester City will come to town, who are in ridiculous form. Then they get Benfica at home and then Leicester away. So a difficult run of five games coming up for Arsenal between now and the end of the month. The three league games will all be tough. And those two Europa League games, I don't know how tough they'll be. Benfica haven't been particularly good. But at the same time, it's still two extra games. It's still travel uh, to and from Portugal. So it's going to put a tax on what is not the strongest squad in the league. But I still think Arsenal are... You know, they've turned things around nicely after what was a very, very poor start. But they have lost a little bit of ground now on the teams above them. They're four points behind Villa, who have two games in hand on them. They're five behind Spurs, who have a game in hand on them. Six behind Everton, who have two games in hand on them. And eight then behind West Ham, who's the first team to have the same amount of games played as them in sixth position. So Arsenal will want to find another little run of form like they had coming into this little bad spell. And if they can do that, they can keep ground. But I I think the mandate for them now is simply going to be a top half finish. Um, I had hoped that we'd see more from them this year. I did think that a top six finish was, was possible, but the start killed them. The start was so poor. Arteta had some missteps along the way. I think he's finally, you know, found something of the right, mix in midfield that's got strength, power, creativity, pace. But it took them too long to get there. They're also struggling a little bit at the at the back. The injury to Kieran Tierney, obviously massive, and they don't have a, a decent backup left back in the squad. Having let Kalasinek go on loan to Schalke, they don't want to move Saka out of that attacking role and put him back to left back. So... They're stuck playing Cedric there, and while he does a decent job, he was at fault for their goal, for the Villa goal, and everything 
is cut back inside. He's entirely right-footed. So when he makes an overlapping run, he has to stop, come back in his right foot and try and find a pass or a cross. It's not ideal. It's something they're going to have to address in the summer. They will need to find a depth option there. I would have really liked to see them buy Harry Pickering, who's gone on loan, or who's gone to Blackburn and then been loaned back to Crew. I think 750000 is all Blackburn paid for him. He's not ready to start every game in the Premier League, but I think if you got him in in the summer, if you had that same deal in place where he was coming in the summer, he'd learn a lot from Tierney. He'd be a good backup option. Then if you want to move back to a back three, he works as a wing back and Tierney can play left side centre back. Pickering could have been a nice option. They'll go for somebody in the summer. Rico Henry's been mentioned as a target. He'd make a lot of sense if, if Brentford don't come up. But there'll be others out there as well that Arsenal will look at. And um, you'd imagine that will be one area that they'll look to strengthen to make sure that if there's any problems with uh, Kieran Tierney moving forward, they will be able to cope with them much, much better than they have been this season. Brighton versus Burnley at Turf Moor turned out to be quite a good game of football, surprisingly enough, for two teams that are predominantly defensive-minded. Um Burnley played some good football. Uh, 55% possession. Sean Dyche won't know what to do. Uh, 20 shots in the game, 7 on target. Sanchez in goal for Brighton, who I think has has flaws in his game. Uh, pulled off a, a number of good saves here. Brighton went with a very much a back five. Veltman and Byrne, who are both centre-backs by trade, uh, as wing-backs with the back three, Basuma and Pascal Gross. In midfield, Alexis, Alexis McAllister back in, which was big for them. Um, it didn't have the impact on the game I think he'd have hoped to have had, but both sides played good football. Both sides created good chances. Brighton went 1-0 up. Lewis Dunk with a great header from a corner. Um, it was slightly against the run of play, maybe, but I, I think Brighton were enough in the game to warrant a goal. But from there, Burnley really did step up through the gears, and they really did create some good chances in this game. Um like I said, Sanchez made some good saves here. Dwight McNeil was very influential. They get the goal with Goodmanson scoring after Sanchez has made a good save. The ball is palmed out to him, and he rifles home from about 16 yards. It was no less than they deserved. They played really well. They went with Barnes and Vidra up front, and it was nice to see a little bit more pace and diversity in their attack. Now, I do think that uh, when Chris Wood is fit, he will start, but again, I think you can have Wood and Rodriguez as a pair, Barnes and Vidra as a pair, rather than it being Wood and Barnes. I, th- I think they need more variety in attack. It's one of the reasons I think they they desperately need to get another attacker in in the summer, um, and and a wide player as well for that bit of spark off the bench. An out and out right winger would be really nice because the options they have to play on the right, they're all left footed. They all want to come back in field. Um, good point for both teams I think I think both will be happy with the point here for Brighton they're 15th in the league unbeaten in five three wins out of those five they're in really good form it's the best run of form by far this season they had some great performances if we remember at the start of the season but they couldn't get the victories very unfortunate against Chelsea when they comprehensively outplayed them against Liverpool when I thought they were the better team against United where they absolutely trounced them and should have beaten them 6-1 but uh, Leandro Trossard just couldn't do anything other than hit the post on the day. Um, Burnley earned 17th, but they are only two points behind 
Newcastle and Brighton, and they do have a game in hand. So, you know, the eight-point gap from them to Fulham is a nice bit of comfort for them. No wins out of the last three, but two from the last five. Only the two defeats in the last five. Burnley will be happy enough with how things are going. After the bad start they had, they're moving forward and they're moving in the right direction. Brighton get Leicester in the cup in midweek and then have Aston Villa at home next weekend, followed by Crystal Palace at home and then West Brom away. So this is a really good run for Brighton after Palace after the Villa game. Palace at home, West Brom away. That's games they can win. And if they keep winning games, they will continue to climb the table. And maybe I won't look so silly for having said that they'd finish in the top half. Um, like if they could pick up six points from those three games, they'd have a real chance of being 12th, 13th, especially considering Southampton's current form. We'll get to them. And Palace, who they play, are only four points ahead of them. So if there's a real opportunity for Brighton here to continue to climb the table. As I've been saying all season, I think Graham Potter is a really good manager. I think this is a really good squad. I think the owners, I don't want to say let them let them down by not investing in the summer or in January because obviously COVID, like the COVID pinch is real. And it looks like Brighton are going to have some heavy debt off this season. But at the same time, you would have just liked to have seen them add a couple more pieces. That's If they could have got that striker, it could have made all the difference. But defensively, they've just they've been tremendous of late. Um, in the bottom half, only Burnley have a better defensive record. And if you look at the top end of the table, they've got the same amount of goals conceded as Manchester United, who currently sit second. Um, so, I mean, that's where their success has been built. But they have started to score more goals. They've got 25 this season now in their 23 games. So things are moving in the right direction for Brighton. Don't know why I was ever worried about them, to be honest. <laughs> For Burnley, uh, like I say, they're in 17th. Um, they're trending in the right direction, though, after the bad start. They get Bournemouth in midweek in the FA Cup. Then they get Crystal Palace away. And then they get um, Fulham at home, West Brom at home, and then Spurs away. So Palace away will be tough, no question. But that Fulham game and that Burnley game, they're games they will be banking on winning. And if they win those games, that really will put to bed any opportunity for, I I think, for Fulham to catch them. Um, and I think it could do in West Brom. They just they, they look turgid at the moment. But it, this is a, a favourable run for Burnley. Palace away will be tough. But Burnley are more than capable of going and getting a result there. A point there would be absolutely fine. And as I say, Fulham and West Brom at home, they're games they they shouldn't lose. They'll aim to win both. I'd imagine four points from the two, they'll be happy enough, but they'll want six. And then that Spurs trip at the end of the month is is a difficult one. Um, That Fulham game, I think that's the rescheduled one from when Fulham had their their COVID issues. Um, On then to Newcastle 3, Southampton 2. We're looking for a bit of a response from Southampton after the 9-0 shellacking they took in midweek. And we got it. They were they were much, much improved. Uh, but they fell behind to a Joe Willock goal early on. Alan St. Maximum back in the team for Newcastle and making a difference straight away. 
uh, skinned Jack Steve. Poor Jack Stevens played it right back in this game and, and just he was made to look like a statue. Um, so maximum sets up Joe Willock, who comes out, breaks from midfield and scores a very, very nice goal. Joe Willock, that's what he does. You know, that's kind of his trademark. It's what he wants to be is that goal scoring midfielder who goes box to box. He doesn't like being a, a sitting midfielder, which is what Arteta had him doing at times. He looked more comfortable when Arteta played him as a 10. And uh, I thought Steve Bruce used him quite well in this game. Uh, it became 2 0 when Miguel Almiron's cross shot was deflected into his own net by Jan Bednarak, who is just having a little bit of a week from hell uh, after his performance at Old Trafford, where he scored an own goal and then was wrongly sent off for uh, Anthony Martial having himself a dive. And we'll have more on that in a few minutes. Um, Taki Minamino on his debut scores an absolute belter of a goal, though, to make it 2-1. Lovely first touch and a rocket of a left-footed finish into the top corner past Carl Darlow, who had done well to that point and made some really good saves to keep Southampton out. One save in particular from Danny Ings was very, very impressive. Almiron made it 3-1 just before half-time, though. A bit of loose play in defence by Newcastle. Almiron breaks onto it and beats McCarthy quite comfortably, it must be said. Uh, Gave him the eyes, made him look like he was going one way and then put it into the near corner. Really good goal. Really good performance from Almiron on the day. Uh, James Ward-Prowse just inside the second half with a great free kick. I mean, he might be the best free kick taker in the Premier League. Uh, made it 3-2. And then Cousin Jeff, a minute later, was sent off for Newcastle. And at that point, you kind of thought, Southampton have this now. They're, they're going to at least get a point. They huffed and they puffed and they tried, they tried their very best, but they just couldn't couldn't get by Newcastle. Danny Ings hit the post. Che Adams had a decent chance. Darlow made some good saves. But you just were hoping for a little bit more from Southampton. We did see an improvement, obviously, on midweek, but you were just hoping for a little bit more. They had 40 minutes against 10 men. Now, Newcastle, in fairness, did bed in. And, and you know, roll out the buses, build up a wall. It was it was a, a good defensive performance for Newcastle, but you just wanted a little bit more from Southampton. You, you were kind of hoping they'd throw the the kitchen sink at it, and they never really did. They only made one substitution in the game, and they didn't have a whole bunch of options. But Musa Janapo could have made a difference in this game. Uh, Nathan Teller could have made a difference in this game. Not really sure. Why the only change was Lundulu for for Stevens. There was other options there to make a substitution. I don't think Nathan Redmond played particularly well in the game. Jennifer was sitting there on the bench, kicking his heels. He could have come on. Um, in good news for Saints, though, Romeo is back. Vestergaard is back. Salisu is finally fit enough to be on the bench. So those things are promising. Um... But again, we're just hoping for a little bit more. We got some, some of a, some of a response. Just a little bit more would have been ideal. Southampton now twelfth in the league, five defeats in a row since they beat Liverpool. Up next for Southampton then is a trip to Wolves away in the FA Cup. That's Thursday night. Then they get Wolves at home on Sunday in the league, followed by Chelsea at home, Leeds away, and then Everton away. So. It is a difficult run. It's not the five games you'd. Re- it's not the games you'd really want coming off a five-game losing streak. 
including that 9-0 walloping they got. But they're going to have to turn things around. They really, really are. And it's up to Ralph to make the adjustments, as he did last year, when they were having a dreadful run of form, when they were losing 9-0. It is up to Ralph to sort this out. I back him to do it. I think he's more than more than capable, but it's never easy, especially mid-season, especially in the circumstances with the injuries that he has and, and, and things like that. But he's good enough to do it. For Newcastle, they're 16th in the league. It is two wins from three, which was badly needed after the dreadful run of form that they'd had. Uh, up now, Chelsea on Monday of next weekend, then Manchester United, then Wolves at home. West Brom away. It's not easy. It really isn't easy. The February fixtures, Chelsea, Man United, Wolves, they're not easy games at all, especially given the two of them are away. And especially with Chelsea in the form that they're in. So Newcastle are still in a bit of bother. Even with the good results, they're still in a bit of bother. They're only two points clear of Burnley, and Burnley do have a game in hand. Now, they are 10 points clear of Fulham. So they they have that. They have a 10-point cushion to the relegation places. But Fulham do have a game in hand. Now, that could be the game against Burnley, as I think about it it is. Um, But at the same time, there's 15 games left. And Newcastle have been pretty dreadful of late. But the two wins really will help them. It really will help them. If they hadn't won them, you'd have massive, massive concerns. But they've won games at the right time, and that's kind of what Steve Bruce does, isn't it? You know, you'll be desperate for months. He'll win games at the right time. He'll keep himself in a job and keep you in the division. It's how he's made his career. It's not fun. It's not good to watch, but it is what it is. Now, in credit to them, they did play some good football at the weekend, but if I was a Newcastle fan, I wouldn't be too enthused about the idea of a third season under Steve Bruce. Um On then to the first game with some real controversy. Controversy? Controversy. Um, decided to become Sean Connery there for a second. Um, Fulham nil, West Ham nil. A decent game of football. Fulham, by far the better team, played some really good stuff. West Ham could have gone 1-0 up. Uh, Soufal, the right back, with a, a header from a Declan Rice cross that hit the crossbar and went over um but other than that it was largely one-way traffic and if Ivan Cavaliero could finish the way he does everything else he'd probably have 15 goals this season and Fulham would probably be sat in mid-table but his finishing always lets him down uh Fabianski made a couple of decent saves but they didn't really test enough. They had 20 shots and only two on target. They put a number of them into the stand. They put a lot wide. It was just a scrappy. Didn't really understand the uh, decision to leave Zambo and Gisa out of the starting 11. Now, maybe it was just to give them a bit of a break, but Fulham didn't have the same kind of drive and burst from midfield that you'd expect them to have. They moved back to a 4-2-3-1. Um having played a back three in, in recent weeks. It was a strange decision. But Luckman played well, created some good chances. Bobby Reed tried his be- very best to do a Marco van Basten impression. Ruben Loftus-Cheeks burned a really good chance after Luckman played him in. 
And it looked like, it, for all intents and purposes, it was just going to end up as a nil-nil draw where nothing much happened. Um, from, from a West Ham point of view, I know Lingard scored two goals in the week, but what Pablo Fernandes has done wrong to deserve to be dropped, I, I really don't know. Um, anyway, right at the end of the game, there is a set-piece situation, West Ham's free kick. Suchek is standing next to Mitrovic on the edge of the box, and Mitrovic tries to grab a hold of his jersey. Suchek lifts his arm to try and create a bit of separation, and his elbow clips Mitrovic in the face. Mitrovic hits the deck like he's been shot. And the referee goes to VAR. Now, the referee is Mike Dean. Mike Dean is the referee who had sent off Bednarak in the week uh, because Martial dived. And that red card was obviously overturned. Too late for Southampton after it cost them three goals. Um, But, you know, it was nice that it was overturned. There's absolutely no intent from Suchek. Absolutely none. He is not trying at all to hit Mitrovic. It's just unfortunate. Mitrovic gets up fairly quickly in credit to him. And Mike Dean sends Suchek off. He watches the replay endlessly and comes to the conclusion that it's violent conduct and sends Suchek off. Thankfully, it took place that late late in the game that didn't affect the game. Though West Ham will say, well, we had a free kick in a dangerous area and Suchek is a big threat from those. It's a baffling decision by Mike Dean. And it's been overturned this morning. Already, that red card has been rescinded. That's... Two games in a number in like what four days where Mike Dean has sent a player off and had it overturned the next morning. And yet he's still going to be allowed referee games in the future. He's going to referee an FA Cup game in midweek. Now, at his own request, he's been taken off the register for Premier League games next weekend. But at his own request, not because he's been punished for being completely inept and trying to make every game about him. Lee Mason, who is the VAR, who has been an appalling referee for years and is absolutely dreadful as VAR, he won't be punished either. It was him that called Mike Dean to look at the screen. And yet these people are not going to be punished for the jobs. And unfortunately, the storyline now around Mike Dean is that his family have received death threats. I assume on social media, I haven't seen anything myself, but he he has said today or he's told the, the PGMOL that this has happened and uh, he's asked not to be included next weekend. But this is an atrocious referee. And the discussion about him should be about what an atrocious referee he is. And yet what we're talking about and um, the narrative around it now is idiots on the internet sending threats to his family. Mike Dean was the first referee to issue a hundred red cards 
as a Premier League referee. Almost two years ago, he reached 100. How does anyone send off that many people? That's ridiculous. He had a season, 06-07, he sent off 16 players. That's 0.37 red cards per game across the season where he refereed 43 games. 16. That same season, he issued 173 yellow cards. He had another season where he issued 155 yellows, but only nine reds. 17, 18, he only issued three reds. That was a career low for Mr. Dean, but it was also a career low in matches, which is probably why. Man just loves sending people off. He loves being part of the action. I don't understand how at 52 years of age he's still allowed referee Premier League games. With the greatest of respect, he's just not capable of refereeing Premier League games. There's a reason FIFA have a mandatory retirement age of 45. And international football is considerably slower than Premier League football. But yet, FIFA say, 45, you're gone. The Premier League, no such rule. No such rule at all. The story today should not be the fact that Mike Dean, Mike Dean's family should not have received any threats. They didn't do anything wrong. He shouldn't receive threats any either because he's just a man doing a job. But he just happens to be particularly dreadful at that job. I want you to think of your job. If you were consistently poor at your job for 20 years, do you think you'd still have the job? <laughs> if you made two calamitous decisions in four days, do you think you might be called into the office and someone might have a word with you? I, I don't understand how Mike Dean is still a Premier League referee. I really don't. But I will say anyone that sends threats to anybody on social media or in any walk of life, you're a coward. You're an absolute coward hiding behind your computer or your phone or wherever you are. You're just a coward. You wouldn't do it to anybody's face. You should be ashamed of yourself. Absolutely ashamed of yourself if you're going online to seek out the family of a referee and send them threats. Scum. Absolute scum. Um, yeah, for West Ham, they'll move forward. They'll be a little bit disappointed by the draw just because they've been in such good form. They have Manchester United in the FA Cup tomorrow night. Then they're home to Sheffield United, at home to Spurs, and away to Manchester City. The Sheffield United game, obviously, is one they'll target to win. At home to Spurs, they'll be confident Away to City looks like it's a lost cause for everybody at the moment. But the FA Cup is, is a big one for them. It'll be interesting to see what Moisey does against his former employers. He also, They also have United on the 13th of March at Old Trafford. So if Moyes can split them, which one would he take the three points from? I think he'd take the three points in the league. I know there's not three points in the FA Cup. I'm, 
I think he'd rather have the three points in the league than the FA Cup, if I'm being honest. Um, for Fulham, it doesn't look good. They're 18th. They've 15 points from 22 games. They're eight points behind uh, Burnley, 10 behind Newcastle and Brighton. They really need to start winning games. They just they can't win football matches at the moment. They've got Everton away next. Then they get Burnley at ho- uh, Burnley away. Then Sheffield United at home in in what is make or break and maybe already done for both teams at that point. And then it's Crystal Palace away. So there's winnable games for sure. All, all four of them, in truth, are winnable because Everton can be a little bit inconsistent. But they need to win the other three. They really need to win the other three. They can't afford to not go to not start winning games for much longer. I, I just don't understand why Scott Parker's still the manager. I really don't understand why he's why he's still the manager. They have a full week now to that Everton game. Now is the time to make a change. Now is the time to call Rafa Benitez or whoever and say, here's a massive bag of money, please come and save us. Um, moving on, Manchester United 3, Everton 3, the proverbial game of two halves. United dominate the first half, and Edin- Edinson Cavani puts them 1-0 up. Good movement from him, but very poor defending from Michael Keane. He gets himself on the end of a cross to head home. He loves scoring against Everton. That's 3-3 three and three against Everton this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Bruno Fernandes made a 2-0 just before half-time with uh, a beautiful goal. A stunning kind of chipped, curling, dip, ping. I don't really know how you'd describe it. Um, really, really good goal, though. Gave uh, Robin Olsen no chance at all. And United went in looking very, very comfortable. Uh, Everton had reverted to the David Moyes era of turning up at Old Trafford and rolling over to have their belly tickled in that first half. But in the second half, they just came out looking like a completely different team. Now, they were helped immensely by David De Gea deciding that since Jordan Pickford wasn't playing, he would do a Jordan Pickford impression and make zero saves in the game. Um, he did get his hand to a cross and palm it into the path of Abdoulaye Decore, who made it 2-1. James Rodriguez made it 2-2 a couple of minutes later um, from a good cutback and a nice little shot into the, into the bottom corner. At that point, Everton looked like they were going to go and win the game. United looked shell-shocked. Oli didn't seem to have an answer to to what had happened. Um, Paul Pogba had gone off injured and um, in the first half. And uh, that that was the that was the excuse that was being made at the time that they were missing Pogba. It was ignored the fact that they went two 0 up after Pogba went off, but you know they were missing Pogba, who hadn't played particularly well anyway. Um, United somehow managed to go three two up. Um, Luke Shaw, who'd had a great game, takes the free kick from the left hand side, curls it into the box. Scott McTominay jumps through the crowd. Gets his head to the ball. It's a very soft header. It looks like an incredibly routine save for Robin Olsen. And whether he slipped, he seemed he seemed to get his feet stuck and he couldn't really spring. And then his arms seemed to shrink. So again, maybe it was a Jordan Pickford tribute. I'm not sure. 
But uh, he didn't get close to the ball in the end. But from what should have been a very easy save, he bounces into the corner very, very slowly. Um, and that, that looked like it was it. That looked like it was game over. But But fear not. Because when Harry Maguire is on the pitch, there's just always a chance he's going to do something silly. And so it was, he played the entire Everton attack onside from a set piece. Uh, Luca Digne curls the ball in. Maguire plays everybody onside. It takes a touch off a United player. Calvert-Lewin controls it. It sort of squirts away from him. And if De Gea comes off his line, he probably gets the ball first. But he seems stuck to his line. Eventually comes out. Calvert-Lewin gets to the ball first and knocks it past him into the net. Everton deserved their point here. They won the second half 3-1. Despite Gary Neville's claims that United managed the second half well, Everton won the second half 3-0. United won the first half 2-0. Everton won the second half 3-1. I should say 3-1, not 3-0. Um... I think honours even is about a fair reflection. Now, United will say, well, we had more shots, more of the ball, etc., etc. You should have. You're at home. But that second half, United just did not look like they had much purpose. Didn't look like they had much belief. The defence was all over the place. Maguire then claiming offside after he played everybody on was the sign of of a spoofer, in, in my view. He's one of those leaders who's not really a leader and nobody would follow if he was. Um, for United, they are second in the table, which, of course, they will be happy with. Uh, five points behind City. City have a game in hand on them. Two wins from the last five, though, so a little bit of a dip in form. Uh, coming up, they've got West Ham in the FA Cup. Then they've got West Brom away in the league. Real Sociedad in the Europa League. Newcastle at home in the Premier League. Sociedad at home in the Europa League. And then Chelsea away to end the month. The next couple of games are favourable, West Brom and, and Toon, but obviously that trip to Sociedad in the middle of that makes that a more difficult run of a week than it perhaps would have been if they didn't have that. Chelsea have turned things around a little bit under Tuchel, so that will be difficult as well. Um, you'd expect United to beat both West Ham, or sorry, West Brom and um, and Newcastle. You'd expect them to beat West Ham in the FA Cup. Saucy that away will be tough, but they've had a they did a really good start to the season and have kind of fallen off. So you'd you'd you know you'd back United to advance in the in the Europa League for Everton, seventh in the league, but with two games in hand on the teams immediately above them. One of those games is City, the other one's Villa, so they are difficult games, but if they could win the Villa one, they would move themselves into uh fifth spot in the league, which you know, on reflection would be probably a fair a fair goal for how they've played this season. Um, they've got Fulham next in the league. Then they've got Man City at home and then Liverpool away before that uh, game against Southampton on a Monday night. So Fulham they'd expect to beat. They've got Spurs first, I should say, in the FA Cup. Spurs first, then Fulham. Then City, then Liverpool, then Southampton. The Spurs FA Cup game is going to be tough. I think Everton will want to win a cup this year. I think that's part of Carlo's mandate is just to win some some silverware. Um, they'll expect to beat Fulham at home, but Everton at home to City 
have tended to roll over the last five, six years. Liverpool away in the derby. If they're going to win an away derby, this is the one to win. Um, and then Southampton on that Monday night. If Southampton haven't gotten things right at that point, uh, Everton could really put a kibosh on them. It's a difficult run. It is a difficult run. But if they keep picking up points the way they have been, like if they were to beat Fulham, beat Southampton, and maybe get a draw in one of the other two games, that would be fine. If they got seven points from the next four games, that would be absolutely fine. Um, might not keep them in the pace for top four, but it will keep them in the pace for European places. And that uh, that is the minimum aim, I think, for Everton this season. On then to Wolves against Leicester. Nil-nil draw, not the best game of football. Pedro Neto, the standout player for me, uh, looked dangerous every time he got the ball, beat players for fun, had one great run in the first half where he set up a good chance. But James Justin made a great block to deny, I think it was Jay Matinho, memory serves. Um, Leicester's defence was a little bit all over the place in this game. But one thing they did well was they kind of blocked by committee. Sonchu, uh, Chowdhury, Justin, they all threw themselves in front of shots to, to make sure the Casper Schmeichel was protected. Uh, they desperately missed Vardy. Now, Vardy did come back in off the bench. I think if he'd started, Leicester probably win this game. But a point is a point, and I think both teams will be happy enough. Um, Fabio Silva did miss a great chance. to. I was Actually, it was Adama Traore. That's who James Justin made the great block from Adama Traore. Uh, Fabio Silva did miss a great chance late on to take all three points for Wolves. But it wasn't to be. He, he just looks like a deer in the in the headlights when he gets in front of goal. Still doesn't have much confidence. He's. I think he needs a loan, personally. I think he needs to go somewhere out of the spotlight and play regularly if he's going to develop into the player that uh, that Wolves hope he is. Leicester stay third. They get Brighton in the FA Cup. Then Liverpool at home. Then Slavia Prague away in the Europa League. Villa at home. Slavia Prague at home. And then Arsenal at home. So the fixtures suit them because, you know, four of the next six games are at home. Of the two away games, one of them is just down the road in, in Aston Villa. So... Not a whole lot of travel. The trip to Slavia Prague will be difficult. But you'd imagine Rodgers will send largely a reserve team. I don't think he'll take any chances for that one. He'll be confident enough that they'll wallop them at home. But that Slavia Prague team, they've got some quality players. I mean, we've seen two of them go to West Ham and do very well. There's a bunch of other players there that are very highly rated. Slavia Prague apparently have the best academy in the Czech Republic and one of the best in Eastern Europe so or Central Europe. I'm not sure which it's classified as. But by all accounts, it's a very, very good academy. And uh, there's some quality players in that first team. But league-wise, I mean, there's not going to be a better time for them to play Liverpool. Villa aren't in the best of form, and they'll expect to beat Arsenal at home. So, you know, Brendan should be confident that he can keep that team in the top, top four this year. Um, he'll be hoping to avoid a collapse like last year. For Wolves, 14th is, is nowhere near where they need to be. But, you know, it's four points in the last two games. That is an improvement on what they've been doing beforehand. Two games against Southampton coming up. Then they get Leeds at home on a Friday night. And then Newcastle away 
The three league games are all games they could win. Southampton are in such terrible form that it wouldn't be a surprise if Wolves went there and won, even with Wolves not being in particularly good form. Leeds at home, I mean, they're at home. They will expect a victory. And with Newcastle, you just don't know what you're going to get week to week. So there's no reason Wolves couldn't win all three and, you know, hold themselves out of the mire they've put themselves into, maybe get themselves back up the table a little bit. 14th is very, very disappointing with that squad. Um, I've said before, I, I don't know that Nuno is the manager next year. I think he might have had enough as well as some of the players might have had enough of the message. Moving on then, Manchester City went to Anfield and scored four. Liverpool managed only a penalty in response. Um, much of the reaction is based around the mistakes by Alison Becker, which gifted City two of their goals. But the problems for Liverpool are, are deeper than that. Um, they were just poor in pretty much every area of the field yesterday. Henderson looked lost at centre-back. Andy Robertson had probably his worst game of the season. Fabinho had probably his worst game of the season. Neither of them helped by the fellow looking lost in between them. Trent did well in attack. And I thought he did okay against Sterling defensively. Midfield, Curtis Jones, the only one that comes out of that with any credit. Ginny Wijnaldum and, and Thiago Alcantara both had poor games. And while the front three huffed and puffed, they couldn't do a whole lot of much. Um, um, a Ruben Diaz mistake gave them their penalty, which Mo Salah had scored, which Mo Salah scored, which had equalised Ilkay Gundogan's goal um, on the 49th minute. And City had missed a penalty in the first half. And in truth, Sadio Mane had missed a decent chance in the first half as well, a header from a Trent cross. But Gundogan put them 1-0 up. Um, City broke down their left, worked the ball through to Foden, Drew a good save from Alison Becker. Jordan Henderson, who had been marking Ilkay Gundogan, decided to just leave him on his own and do nothing. Uh, and Gundogan strolls in and scores the tap-in. Um, Salah equalises. And at that point, it, you know, 1-1, it, was it was looking like a draw is, is, is going to be a good result for, for Liverpool. City were the better team, but they were struggling to really create anything. And then... Liverpool made a bizarre change. They took off Curtis Jones to bring on James Milner. Now, Milner had been poor in his last couple of outings, was hauled off against West Ham and stank the play set against Brighton. But Jurgen Klopp decided to bring him on. This is the guy that's going to change the game for us. Also brought on Shakiri for Thiago. Didn't have a problem with that one. Thiago wasn't playing well. But Curtis Jones had arguably been Liverpool's best player. And um, it made no sense. Alisson would get the ball caught under his feet, played it to Fabinho, got back in position. Fabinho played it back to him. He miskicked his clearance, sent it straight to Phil Foden. Foden danced by Jordan Henderson as if Henderson wasn't there, squared it for Gundogan, who made it 2-1. Both Liverpool centre-backs decided to go and stand at left-back for reasons known only to themselves. Alisson Becker then, for reasons known only to himself, decided to try and pass it to one of them, uh, gave the ball away. <laughs> and um, to Bernardo Silva, who jinked in and lifted the ball past him, and Raheem Sterling scores from a yard out. And then Foden picks the ball up, drives Andy Robertson, who backs off. Jordan Henderson goes to close down, doesn't decides he's not going to bother committing to the close down. Henderson and Robertson turn away from the shot as it l literally lasers over Alison Becker's head. 
Uh, why Becker is sto- stooped so low, I'm not quite sure. Nobody covered themselves in glory there, except for Phil Foden, who deserved his goal after a brilliant performance. A brilliant performance. In a game with world-class players everywhere, he was the standout player. There were other City players that played very, very well. Uh, Canseo had, had a solid game at right back. Rodri was very, very good. Gundogan was brilliant. Bernardo Silva was brilliant. Raheem Sterling was very good. Zinchenko was very good. But Foden was, he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. He just seems impossible to tackle. Nobody could get the ball off him. Liverpool had to resort to fouling him. He ran the game from sort of a false nine position. If Riyad Mahrez had been a little bit more on form, I think I think City would have caused Liverpool even more problems. Liverpool are in a rut at the moment. They've lost their last three home games. They've lost back-to-back games under Jurgen Klopp for the first time. I've been asked the question, I've asked the question, and I still don't know the answer to this. Is Jurgen Klopp out of form? Is it possible for managers to have dips in form? He's brilliant at his job. There's no question. He's one of the very best in the world at his job. But he is just a man doing a job. That's what he is. He's a man who has a job. His job, it just happens to be that he's manager of Liverpool Football Club, as opposed to, you know, a carpenter, a plumber, an accountant. His job just happens to be he manages a football club, and he does it brilliantly. But every person in every job has off days. He's having off days at the moment. Now, it's fine to say that. It's okay and acceptable to say that he's having off days without being an idiot and going online and... Which is just weird. Without, you know slagging him off without slagging off the owners you can just go online and say look the owners have been cheap they've cut corners in the wrong places they haven't backed the manager since he won the Champions League yes they brought in Thiago and yes they brought in Jota in the summer but the upfront fees were tiny for both of them I think they paid 5 million to Wolves upfront for Jota and something similar for Thiago they've been really really cheap He delivered them Champions League. They rewarded him with Harvey Elliott, who's a child, and Sepp Vandenberg, who's also a child. I'm not really sure what the owners expect. Now, it's not all their fault. Klopp is, you know, he has a part to play in this. He didn't have to play Jordan Henderson at centre-back yesterday. He could have played Ozan Kabak or Ben Davies. Or Nat Phillips. He had options. This managerial fatalism of, oh, he had no choice. He did have a choice. Of course he had a choice. Didn't just have 11 fit players. He had a whole bench full of players. He made the substitutions. He made the decision to bring on James Milner, who's an empty shirt these days. He made the decision to bring on Shakiri. He made the decision to leave Bobby Firmino on the pitch. Jurgen Klopp's having a bad run of form. On the flip side, Pep Guardiola's having an incredible run of form, and his team look unbelievable. And uh, they're five points clear of City, 
10 points clear of Liverpool and they have a game in hand on both. It, it just seems inevitable that they're going to win the league now. And they're going to win it by a considerable margin by the looks of things. They've got Swansea in the FA Cup. Then they've got Spurs at home. Then Everton away. Then Arsenal away. Then Gladbach away in the Champions League. And then West Ham at home. Now, it is a very difficult run of form. And it continues into next month where they start the month with United at home. So it, it really is going to be a test for them. But if, if, if they win the next four league games, it's over. Just call it a wrap. If they beat Spurs, Everton, Arsenal and West Ham, that would be title done and dusted. Because nobody else in the Premier League can string a run of wins together at the moment. It's just the most inconsistent league that there is. The only other team who've won more than one game in a row at the moment are Chelsea. Oh, I'm sorry, and Crystal Palace. Credit to Crystal Palace. But they play tonight. So let's see how they do tonight. But they've won two in a row. Chelsea have won three in a row. City have won like eight or nine in a row. Nobody else is touching them at the moment. They're just on a different level to everybody else. That was one of the best performances I've seen by a team coming to Anfield. Even factoring factoring in that Liverpool are dreadful at the moment. City were brilliant and deserve all the credit. All the credit. It's just a shame the passionate vocal shouts don't help. Um, For Liverpool, they have Leicester next weekend, then Leipzig away in the Champions League. That game is played in in Budapest because the German government won't allow um, English travellers into the country. Uh, Well done, Boris Johnson. Um, Then they've got Everton at home in the Derby and then Sheffield United away in the league. So two difficult games in the league with a very difficult Champions League trip in between them and then Sheffield United away. And who knows what Sheffield United will be at the time. I mean, if they continue to pick up points, they may... They may have an outside shot at staying up. It's unlikely, but they may. Um, it's it's tough for Liverpool. But one thing that needs to happen, and needs to happen before that Leicester game, is Ozan Quebec needs to be put into that defence next to Fabinho. And that needs to be the pairing moving forward. Put Henderson back into midfield. He'll do less damage there. And he might actually influence games in positive ways. Um, enough enough about that. Moving on. Last game of the weekend then. Chelsea went to Bramall Lane and came away with a rather fortunate win. Um, They dominated possession, but I thought Sheffield United looked the more dangerous team. Mason Mount put Chelsea 1-0 up on 43, but Ollie Burke should have put put the Blades 1-0 up earlier on. Mount's goal comes from a nice cutback from Timo Werner. Into the second half, and Antonio Rudiger gets himself in all kinds of a mess. Mendy comes out, Rudiger passes the ball past him, and it's one all. Um, and it was no less than Sheffield United deserved. I, I genuinely felt they were the better better team. Only three minutes later, though, Werner breaks down the field, knocks the ball to one side of Ramsdale, and tries to run to the other. Ramsdale has already committed. Werner's quite clever. Werner buys the penalty. It is a penalty. It's a foul. 
the only thing is, Werner's not getting to the ball. He's knocked it way, way past where he's going to be able to get to the ball. And there is a covering defender. So it's unfortunate for Ramsdale. If he could have just moved himself out of the way, uh, he could have saved himself a whole bunch of hassle. Jorginho makes it makes it 2-1, and that was kind of all she wrote. Sheffield United, they, they put up a bit of a fight, but it was largely Chelsea possession, Chelsea possession, Chelsea possession, without any real intent. Um, it's disappointing for Sheffield United because they had been doing well. But again, I mean, you're not really expecting anything at home to Chelsea, given where you are on the table and, and how they're, you know, how they're turning things around there. Chelsea move up the table into sixth, into fifth position, I should say, which is a pretty impressive turnaround considering where they were. They've won three in a row now under Tuchel. Now, I will say, the last two they've won by the odd goal due to a penalty. It's not like they've been, you know, brilliant. It's not like they've been blowing teams away. They're just becoming efficient. They're using their talent. But fifth is a massive turnaround. They're only one point now behind Liverpool, who are fourth. So they look like real top four contenders again, which they weren't at all under Frank. They really weren't at all under Frank. They've got Barnsley in the FA Cup, then Newcastle at home, Southampton away, Atletico Madrid away in the Champions League in what is now a much more interesting task, uh, a much more interesting tie than it would have been. Simeone against Frank would have been painful to watch. Simeone against Tuchel is is very interesting. And then Manchester United at home in the league on the 28th. They'll expect to win their next three games, including Barnsley. And that United game on the 28th is all of a sudden one to keep an eye on because Tuchel isn't Frank and he won't roll over for United. Um, For Sheffield United, they're nailed to the bottom, obviously, still. But they are only one point behind West Brom. I've missed the game. I missed the game. I'll come back to it. I missed Spurs West Brom. Um, yeah, Sheffield United, bottom of the table, 11 points, one point behind West Brom. Up next for them, Bristol City in the FA Cup. Again, win that game, keep the momentum going, keep that cup run going. It's a nice distraction. Uh, West Ham in the league on Monday the 15th, then Fulham away, and then Liverpool at home. Look, every team that plays Sheffield United are going to expect to beat them, but there's games here Sheffield United can win. They can beat Fulham. They can beat Fulham. They've got a better manager. Yes, Fulham have better players, but they have a more well-worked system. They know each other a lot better. They can beat Fulham. Maybe they can even beat Liverpool at home. But the way Liverpool are playing, nothing would surprise me at the moment. Um, Yeah, I miss Spurs against, against uh, West Brom. Uh, 2-0 to Spurs. Spurs looked a lot better. They created a lot of chances. They spurned a few. Sam Johnston made a couple of good saves. The first half, they were pretty much one-way traffic. Second half, they finally convert some chances into goals. Harry Kane makes it 1-0. A lovely pass from Heusberg finds Kane in the inside left channel, and his shot gives Sam Johnston a little chance. A couple of minutes later, it's a typical Spurs counter-attacking move. Uh, Lucas Moura Find Sun and Sun blasts it in. Johnson gets a hand to it, but I don't think he ever really had a chance to save it. Spurs looked a lot better, a lot better than they have in, in recent weeks. They should do. West Brom are terrible. So beating them isn't much of an achievement, but it keeps Spurs, you know, in the mix. They're eighth in the league. 
Um, and it's you know it's good to get a win after three successive defeats. They've got Everton in the cup, then City away in the league, so that's obviously very very tough. Then Wolfsburg of Austria in the Europa League, West Ham in the Premier League, Wolfsburg again at home, and then then Burnley at home to end the month. So it is a difficult run of games. The Wolfsburg games again, I think Mourinho plays a weakened team as Brendan Rodgers will do. It's just hard to see anybody taking anything from City at the moment. And that Everton game in the Cup will be tough. But West Ham and Burnley, their games, they have to win. Spurs have to get top four this season. They have to get top four this season. There really isn't an option for Mourinho to not get top four. They still have more than a good chance. The league is still wide open. Um, and everybody's inconsistent at the moment. So while Chelsea have won three in a row, they could easily lose a couple and fall back into the mix. Liverpool could continue to lose games. Leicester could go on a bad run and maybe not win in, in five games, something like that. So you just don't know. Everybody needs to you know, keep their eye in because I think everybody from eighth up, with the exception of West Ham, has a real shot at the top four. And that's no disrespect to West Ham. I just don't think they have the quality to maintain this for another 15 games. As things stand, they're sixth. They're only a point behind Liverpool, but I just don't see them being the one who gets top four. Um, I think City are the only team that are nailed on to make top four. I think United, Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Everton and Spurs are all in contention for those other three spots. Uh, For West Brom, 19th, four defeats from five. Manchester United next, then Burnley away, then Brighton at home. No easy games for them. There's just no easy games for them now. Every game is tough. Their confidence is gone. They've been dreadful defensively all season. They look a little bit better going forward at the moment. Um, the new signings seem to be seem to be working a little bit. They're not getting goals yet, but they do look a little bit more of a threat going forward. Uh, but it's safe to say that the Big Sam experiment has not worked thus far. And... Uh, if it is to work, it needs to work quickly. They have 15 games left to save themselves and they're 11 points off safety. You'd have to question whether Big Sam even sticks it out. Because if they look like they're doomed, I don't think he'll stay. I don't think he'll see out the season. I think he'll just walk away. Um, And, he, you know, there'll be all the excuses then of he was too late, brought in, didn't back him, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's some... There's some logic to all of that, but he came in at around the right time, around the time you'd want to make that change. It's when Fulham should have made their change. Uh, because, you know, December of this season is, isn't is really like December of a normal season. It's a bit more like January because, sorry, it's a bit more like November because the season started late and everybody's a little bit behind. And we've only played 23 games at this point. Normally we'd be, I think, 26, 27 around this time. So... Um, I don't see any path for West Brom to stay up, if I'm being honest. I think they're pretty much doomed. And it's unfortunate, but you know, a yo-yo club is what they've been for a number of years, and a yo-yo club is what they will remain. Um, we'll wrap up with some gossip just to take my mind off what was a fairly disappointing weekend for a Liverpool fan. Um, Tottenham boss... Jose Mourinho believes it is a case of waiting for the right moment when it comes to talks over a new contract for Youngman's son. Uh, just get that deal done. Whatever you can do, get that deal done. 
Spain defender Sergio Ramos's injury layoff could see talks over a new contract put on hold until he recovers. Why would you want to give him a new contract? He's 34. He's past his best. It's time to move on. Real need a, a clean break from that era. Um, Crystal Palace boss Roy Hodgson is expecting interest in Wilf Zaha this summer. I'm not sure why Roy Hodgson would expect anything this summer, given he's at a contract and there's been no talk that he's going to get a new one or that he even wants a new one. Uh, real questions have been asked for the first time of Jurgen Klopp, says Jamie Carragher. This is the same Jamie Carragher who said that Ruben Diaz was the player of the year despite being maybe the fourth best City player this season. Uh, I wouldn't put any stock in what Jamie Carragher has to say. Roy Keane has called Liverpool's has called Liverpool bad champions and says, keep performing like that. There'll be another 30 years before you win one. Look, Roy Keane knows what it is to win Premier League titles without question, but never in the circumstance that Liverpool are in right now. And if we just look back at the last eight years, if we can, uh, bad champions. Liverpool are fourth at the moment and are dealing with, you know, an unprecedented season of injuries. Nobody, as far back as we have have the data to look at, has had the level of injuries that Liverpool have had so far this season. There's also a pandemic and no fans and all that kind of stuff. But let's consider. United won the title in 2013. The following season, they finished seventh. Chelsea win the title in 2015. The following season, they finished 10th. Leicester win the title in 2016. They finished 12th and almost got relegated. Like If, if they'd kept Ranieri, they were looking doomed. They were bouldering their way towards the bottom, uh, bottom three until the players kind of stepped in and got, got Ranieri removed. Um... Leicester won, or sorry, Chelsea won the title in 2017, and in 2017-18, they finished fifth. And Manchester City won the title in 2019, and ended last season 18 points behind Liverpool, and were 25 points behind when football restarted. So, if Liverpool are bad champions, what does that make the rest? Because none of them had to deal with these kind of problems. None of them had the COVID issues, none of them had pandemics, none of them had no fans, none of them had the injuries. I don't really know what makes them bad champions because they've said we have lots of injuries, but they do have lots of injuries. It's not an excuse, it's just a fact. Um, France forward Kylian Mbappe could emulate teammate Neymar and stay at Paris Saint-Germain despite interest from Liverpool and Real Madrid. In this landscape there's, there's there's very little chance anyone can afford to buy him anyway so he's probably better off either doing that or running down his contract and leaving for free the following summer uh, AC Milan manager Stef- Stefano Pioli says it is only right that Zlatan Ibrahimovic continues playing at the Italian club he has been brilliant this year he's at a contract in the summer so I'd imagine they will want to keep him IX director of football Mark Ovmar is set to leave his post at the end of the season with the ex-Netherlands winger, being linked with Barcelona and Arsenal. Arsenal have a director of football in Edu. He's just not very good, but Overmars could be an upgrade. I don't know if anyone would want to go to Barcelona, given their financial 
state. I mean, it's very, very strange. Um, France midfielder Tangai Endembele has conceded he had to change if he wanted to succeed at Tottenham. He, he, you know, he's turned things around brilliantly. He was disaster last season. He's been brilliant this season. Chelsea and Germany striker Timo Werner has not scored in 14 Premier League games, but says that while he's not scored for a long time, he will keep going and the goals will come. He's absolutely right. He played very, very well against Sheffield United. Performances have improved. Goals will come. He's too good. He's too good to continue that drive. Former England and Tottenham defender Jonathan Woodgate says he's unsure what will happen with the vacant, vacant managerial position at Bournemouth. Woodgate has been named um, caretaker manager following the sacking of Jason Tindall. <laughs> I don't understand how Jonathan Woodgate could even be considered for a job at this point. Like, have, has everybody forgotten what a dreadful job he did at Middlesbrough? Like, he was dreadful at Middlesbrough. He won 21.95% of his games. He managed 41 games. They won nine of them. Nine. I don't understand how he could be in the running. I know that Bournemouth won at the weekend. Bournemouth are a good team. But the team he took over at Middlesbrough had finished seventh under Tony Pulis. The season before that, they'd finished fifth. And Woodgate almost got them relegated. They barely stayed up last season. Neil Warnock took over from and kept them up. And this season, they're seventh again. So that says to me that the problem is very much Jonathan Woodgate, not anything else. Warnock has managed 36 games, sorry, 39 games. He's won 16. So the problem at Middlesbrough was Woodgate. He just isn't very good as a manager at this point. So he shouldn't get that job. And that's that. That is today. Um, yeah, I mean, look, a, a weird game, a weird weekend of games. Um, some strange VAR nonsense, as always, in the you know the West Ham game. Um, there was a... Some suggestions that maybe Ruben Diaz should be sent off in the Liverpool Man City game for the foul on Salah. Uh, I don't I don't think that was ever possible because there was a covering defender, so uh, I don't think that was real. Um Konza, like I said, could have been could have been sent off in the uh, the Aston Villa Arsenal game and obviously Suchek was sent off and it's been rescinded. Uh, I think the lesson we've all learned from the weekend is don't be an idiot. Don't send death threats to anybody, you know act like a human being um, and that City are going to win the league <laughs> and they're going to win it quite comfortably City are going to win the league and they're going to win it by if, if anyone's within 10 points of them I'd be surprised that's it that is me for today uh, thank you very much for listening as always uh, thank you to Guy Drinkle and thank you to Fox Hunt. take care of yourselves I'll see you tomorrow bye bye Podcast Network.